Who is the Holy Spirit? For years, we have treated the Holy Spirit kind of like lightning. And I'm going to explain this. Lightning strikes when a specific set of circumstances come together to create an environment for the ground and the sky to meet via lightning. We saw this this past week, or y'all saw this. I wasn't here, but y'all saw it. It is quick, it is loud, it starts a lot of fires, and then it retreats. That's how most of us have seen the Holy Spirit. Uh, Likewise, we believe the Holy Spirit is a burst of energy that shows up in a readied environment that is loud, it's quick, it starts fires, and then it's gone. We see the Holy Spirit as a lesser, typically, expression of the Trinity, though most of that is subconscious. Again, if I ask you, is the Holy Spirit just as much God as the Father? You would say, oh yeah, absolutely. Yet most of us have a, re- a way easier time seeing the Father as God or Jesus as God than we do the Spirit. Okay? So we, we have typically, especially in the West, especially in many denominations, have seen the Holy Spirit as a lesser expression and picture of who God is. Okay, We've seen the Spirit as other than, mysterious, mystical, and foggy. Or, as the King James Version, blessed brethren, most lovingly and helpfully puts it, ghost. You know what I mean? And it does sound a lot more spiritual and a lot more powerful to say Holy Ghost than Holy Spirit. Um, but that really doesn't help our cause. You know what I'm saying? Like, Because <laughs> um, if we get in a moment, y'all, if I, I could do this right here, I'll, I'll just show you. So if we get in a moment and I say, Holy Spirit, move. It's like, oh, that's great. Now watch this. You ready for it? If I say, Holy Ghost, move. See how it had, had a little bit more like pizzazz? So, so that it definitely has that feeling. However, when you go home and on the way you're thinking about it, like, holy ghost, I don't know if I like ghosts. You know what I'm saying? But today I want to begin the journey of rightly seeing the person of Holy Spirit as fully 100% God. The Holy Spirit, or I've been saying this a lot, holy breath, because it honestly, spirit has gotten such a weird connotation lately with how it's been used. But the Holy Spirit is 100% God. The Holy Spirit is as much God as the Father and the Son are. As much. So we've said this about the Son, but I'm going to say it about the Spirit. Run from anything you believe about the Spirit that you cannot find in the person of Jesus. We've said that about the Father. Be afraid of anything you believe about the Father you can't find in Jesus. Likewise, be afraid of anything you believe about the Spirit that you cannot find in Jesus. So, is Jesus mystical? And does He show up every now and then? And does He show up when we're in this really awesome moment and all the moods are right and you got the goosebumps and all that stuff and then then Jesus shows up? No, we believe Jesus walks with us every single day, right? Right? If you believe the Spirit is anything other than that, you have the wrong view of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, this is, what, this is what the message is called today. I don't normally do titles, but I was feeling it with this one. I'm gonna, here's the title of the message. The Holy Spirit as a pastor. The Holy Spirit as a pastor. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. 
Many of you have heard it. It is actually a feminine noun, and it means breath, wind, and, of course, spirit. It is a sign and a symbol of life. In the New Testament, the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, and it means basically the exact same thing as ruach, wind, breath, and spirit. Okay, And the word holy, I'm not going to do a lot of Greek today, but the word holy is the word hagios, and it means of God, holy and sacred, or other than. So if the Greek word pneuma for spirit is breath, okay, and holy is that of God, we could say it like this, pneumatos hagiu, which is the Greek for Holy Spirit, is literally God breath or God life. So the Holy Spirit is the life breath of God. It's the life of God. So it's illegal to say that Jesus or the Father or God is living their lives through us without the understanding of the Spirit that is the very thing how, that God uses to live their lives through us. Their life and their lives. I go back and forth on how I want to say that because I don't ever want you to think that there's three. But there's three in one. But the Spirit, the breath, is how God lives His life through us. So apart from the Spirit, you can't walk with Jesus. Apart from the Spirit, you can't walk with God because the Spirit is the Spirit of God. So it's the breath of God. So when you're walking with God, you're walking with God in the Spirit or in the breath or in the wind. So when we were at the water park this past Thursday before our car crapped out, um, sorry for saying crap, I know that's a bad word. Some people don't like saying that. Um, pooped out. Um, anyway, before that happened, I was walking up this, this, this set of stairs to go slide down this, this really straight shot down slide. Anyway, so I'm going up. Mostly I'm doing it to impress Veda because she's watching and she thinks that's like the coolest thing she's ever seen that I'm going down the slide. And so she's just jumping up and down and so excited. Anyway, and uh, part of me is like, Lord, please don't let me break my back, you know. And um, as I'm climbing up, I just feel this, this, and we felt, I don't know if you felt it this morning walking in, the wind just kind of wrap around. It was like refreshing. It was so hot. And, um, and I just had this thought, if the Spirit is present and fills all things, it's in all things, fills all things, it helps all things live exactly like they were designed to live, etc., then while, we're, while I'm walking up this, this dumb slide um, in this really dumb, not religious, not super spiritual, not supernatural moment, the Spirit is just entangling me. And then I begin to think, well, I'm not in worship right now. I'm not taking communion right now. I'm just riding this slide. And I could feel the Spirit say, this is going to be a blast, isn't it? And we have this, this, this weird thing with God that we feel like devotion is the portion of time that we allot to God. So like, you know, if you wake up at 5 a.m. and you spend from 5 a.m. to 7.30 a.m., two and a half hours with the Lord, then that's your like holy moment that you're encountering God, right? And God does not long for you to put him in a category, even if it's the biggest category in your life. 
God does not long for you to prioritize him. God wants to be in all things. So that means when you're riding a water slot, God wants to be in that just as much as when you open your Bible and read the Word of God. Do you see what I'm saying? He wants to be in you driving down the road, listening to your favorite song and singing it super off-key. He wants to be in that just as much as he wants to be in this room in a holy moment. All moments are holy. You see what I'm saying? And we have this, this thing that we, we picture that God, when he's encountering us, is encountering us when we're doing the whole lights are off, candles are lit, everything's quiet, I'm really focused. And he does encounter us in that way. But the reason he encounters us there is to ultimately get us to the point where we see he's actually encountering us in every single thing that we do. So let me read John 14, and I'm going to explain this in a way that, that I've never seen, that you guys have probably never seen, but it, it's really good. It really helps. So John 14, verse 15, and if y'all have anything, just throw it out while I'm, while I'm talking and while I'm doing this today. Um, I'm in the NIV. Here we go. 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. I, I'm going to try not to stop a lot, but if you read this in the Greek... This passage says something, it's like, it's like a completely different passage. So this is one of the most, I found out in studying this, the most liberally translated set of scriptures in the entire Bible. That there, you talk about stretches, there are some stretches that were taken in translating this. That doesn't mean you shouldn't read it. It means you probably need to learn Greek. So, you know what I mean? But, um, no, I'm just kidding. But that's what lexicons are for. So here's what, what it says. Um, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, when you read that, what does that translate to you? If you love me, you better prove it by keeping my commandments, which is exactly what they want you to understand about God, right? The Greek word or the Greek phrase there is, if you love or prefer me, my teaching will be preserved within you. If you love me, you better keep. Nope. If you love me, everything that I've said to you will be preserved and fully alive in you. So I'm going to give you my translation of this whole passage in a or this whole paragraph in a second. But anyway, verse 16. If you love me, anyway, verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The word another it's really interesting, but I'll show you in a second. Verse 17, the spirit of truth, okay, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives in you, okay, and, and will be in you. No, 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 no. Let me, let me, read, this, let me read this sentence again. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you and is in you. Or he lives with you and is in you. There is no will be. The word is is, emphatically is in you. Okay? Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Verse 20. One of my favorite verses. 
On that day, you will realize or know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Okay? Yeah, all right. Notice that he does not use future tense in this. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, that you are in me, and that I am in you. Okay? So, the day that's coming is not going to make Him and the Father and us and Him and Him and us. The day that's coming will make us realize that all along, He's been in the Father, He's been in us, and we've been in Him. Okay, verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, there we go, is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and show myself to them. Verse 22. Then Judas... And I love how the writer put this. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, um, said, <laughs> just in case you were wondering, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Okay. My Father will come to them. We will make our home with them. Remember that. 24. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send you in my name, okay, as me, it's the authority, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled troubled, and do not be afraid. 28, you heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. Okay, the word there is continually coming back to you. Okay, the Greek has a tense that we don't have in English and it's a tense that is ever happening. We don't have that. Yes, exactly. So we have past tense, we have present tense, and we have future tense. The tense here is neither of those. It's a continuation. So he's saying, I'm going away and I'm continually coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Okay? 29, I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. Do you know what the Greek is there? Listen to this. You ready? The Greek is, he has no one over me. But he comes so that the world may learn, so interesting, that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has, and the word there is consummated in me. Is that? Okay. The prince of this world is coming. He has no one over me, or the, actually it could say he has no one in me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father. So let me, so let me just, let me ask you this. Just off the top of your head, and I'm not really going to even answer this today, but I just want to kind of spark your thinking. On the top of your head, if I said the prince of this world, who, you talk, who am I talking about? No wrong answers. The devil. Okay. 
The prince of this world is coming, and he's coming so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has consummated in me. Okay, it's really, 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 really interesting. Um, who are the ones? Who are the ones that um, come after Jesus? It's a it's the religious ones who have stirred up the Romans to come help them out. All right, all right. Let me read my uh, my translation of the first uh, fifteen through eighteen. This is my personal translation. Here we go. And I wanted to do the whole thing. I just it took me many many hours. If you prefer me, my teaching will be preserved within you. And I will also ask the Father and another advocate like me, excuse me, for another advocate like me, and he will put in you, um, let me start over. Let me start over. I messed this up. I had a lot of marked out. Let me, let me start over. Verse 15. If you prefer me, my teaching will be preserved within you, and I will also ask the Father and another advocate like me, he will put in you, that I be with you through the age. Verse 17. The breath of reality. The word truth there is actually reality in Greek. The breath or the spirit of reality or truth, which the cosmos is not capable of containing by works because it has not seen or intimately experienced him, you know by experiencing him, because in you the breath abides, and in you the breath exists. I will not abandon you and leave you fatherless. On the contrary, I will be face to face with you. So, the word, man, I could break this down all day long, and I don't want your brains to leave, because I've got a point in this, and it's not Greek. But I could. When he says this, and we talked about this on a Tuesday night. I think it was this passage. Was it this passage that we talked about, or was it uh, John 16? When we talked about this Jesus going, and he had to go because 16. Same stuff. So we have, we have had this idea that Jesus is telling his disciples, it's a good thing that I leave, right? Because when I leave, me leaving is going to initiate the Father to send the Spirit. So... This is where a lot of questions come up, which is, number one, why did Jesus have to leave for the Spirit to come? Number two, does that mean the Spirit wasn't there when Jesus was there? Number three, what do we do about the rest of the Old Testament that led up to this if the Spirit wasn't there? You see what I'm saying? But we know in reading the Old Testament, if you even just, just go to the prophets, the way the prophets prophesied was by the Spirit of God. Okay, So the Spirit is there. Jesus is baptized and raised, and when he is raised, the Spirit descends and remains like a dove. Okay? So the Spirit's there. So it's really um, interesting to read this from the perspective that Jesus is saying, I've got to go so the Spirit can come. There's many problems with that. Number one, the Spirit's already there. Number two, where is Jesus going? Anybody? Where, where's Jesus going? He's going to the cross. But once, he's, once he ascends, where's he going? Brother, he's going to heaven, right? This is what he says. This is what he says. Verse 24. 
My Father will love them. We will come to them and make our home in them. In who? Us. A lot of problems. See, all right, you see, you see how this is starting to break down? Okay, so here's what we've said. Jesus has got to go. He's leaving. Jesus leaving. Step one. Step two. Um, <laughs> Holy Spirit coming. Here's the problems. Spirit is already there. How are they healing people? How are they, you know what I'm saying? The Spirit. Okay, so the Spirit's already there. Number two, the problem is, is the Father and the Son are going in us. Right? They're going to make their home in us. So Jesus has got to go. Where's he going? In us. And when he does that, the Spirit's going to come. But the Spirit's already there. What is Jesus saying? We've been taught that Jesus is saying here that they should be glad that he's leaving for some reason because the Holy Spirit can't come unless he leaves. So they should be happy because when he leaves, the Holy Spirit will come. Okay? So what is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about, and I'm going to try to do this in a way that makes a lot of sense. So y'all just hang with me because i got a point in all this, and it's been two weeks. Jesus is talking about um, what, I, what I've talked to you guys about, which is ontology. Now let me tell you this for a second. Ontology is the study of existence, okay? There are two main types of existence. There is material existence... And then there's functional existence. Hang with me. Okay? Material existence is something exists when it materializes. So, for example, if I had a big pile of Legos on this table and I said, I'm going to build a house. And I took those Legos and I started putting them together. Once that house materialized, that thing would exist. Its existence is in it materializing. You with me? But then there is functional existence. So an example of this is this. Um, six months before we ever had a service in our church, I went to the state treasurer's office, or the, uh, not the secretary of state's office, and I filled out the articles of incorporation, us and the leaders of our church back then, filled out the articles of incorporation to incorporate our church. In the eyes of the state of South Carolina and the United States government, we were a 501c3 church six months before we ever had a service. Okay? But how many of you know when we materialized, it didn't make us a church. It was when we started functioning as a church that we say we existed as a church. So we celebrate our anniversary every year on what day? The day we had our first service, not the day we signed the Articles of Incorporation. See what I'm saying? So there are two types of existence, and this is why this is huge, is because if we see everything materialistic, we'll see God's world as a physical material that is at a distance, 
our world that is another material that is at a distance from his material, and the whole goal of life is to escape this material and get to that material, which is what what 90% of the church believes, if not more. But if he's talking about a functional reality and a functional existence, there is no material difference. There is no material distance. There's only the issue of how they function that separates them. So when Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he's not talking about planet heaven colliding with planet earth and it creating another big bang. Or the first big bang. No, anyway, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the function of his world invading the function of our world until our world functions as his world. There is no distance between God's space and our space. Brother, how does that work? I don't know, and I won't know, and you don't have to know. But we've been to outer space, and we didn't pass the pearly gates on the way. St. Peter wasn't waving by after SpaceX flew out into space because he's not at a distance. He's in us. This is all stuff we've learned. If you're new, I apologize. But, you know what I'm saying? Oh, brother, we got to get to heaven. No, we got to get heaven in us. Right? And that doesn't mean that we've got to pave all the streets with gold. It means that we function under the reign of his kingdom rather than Babylon. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what that means. That's what your kingdom come on, your will be done on earth. So he's saying, it's better that I go. Go where? Okay, hang with me, hang with me. God's world is not a material distance away. It's a functional reality away. Jesus is not talking about going somewhere else materially. Jesus is talking about going somewhere else Functionally, or we might say like this, or dimensionally. He's not leaving us, he's going deeper in us. This is what the Greek word is. Okay. The Greek word is hupago, hupago, when he says, You heard me say, I am going away, and I am continually coming back to you. Going away, okay, or coming back to you. That phrase, the main point of the Greek word that's used in that sentence is the word hupago, which does not mean I'm leaving you. It means I'm going deeper in a change of relationship. Okay? So when he says, I'm going away and I'm coming back, what he's saying is, I'm leaving the relationship we have now to go into a deeper relationship with you than we have right now. Here's another way of saying that. When Jesus is walking around with us, God is incarnated in one person among us. Jesus is saying, I'm about to transition from being in one person among you to being in every person in you. In verse 18, go back to verse 18. Before long, the world will, will, uh, excuse me, uh, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Okay, verse 18. Jesus is not going away. He's transitioning his relationship with them and us from that one incarnational being to every human being being an incarnational being. 
That's a big statement. Okay? God among us to God in us or face to face with us. Now, the word that is used when it talks about him uh, being in relationship and coming to us is the same word that John uses in John 1 when he talks about the Son being with the Father. In the beginning, um, excuse me, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word with there is pros, which is face to face. John uses that same word when he talks about the transition that Jesus is about to go to. There's a moment when he's walking with us, but there's a moment coming up where he's going deeper and he will remain in the same relationship with us as he shares with the Father, which is exactly why he says, on that day, you will know that I am in the Father, that you are in me, and that I am in you. Y'all good? I'm just laying some groundwork, and then I'm going to nail you with the main point. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is the exact fulfillment of God's desire to have eternal relationship with mankind. The Holy Spirit is the exact fulfillment of God's desire to have eternal relationship with mankind here and now. It is not, or excuse me, it is the life of Jesus himself, the Spirit is, face to face with us always. It is the Spirit of truth. It is our shepherd. And this is where I want to end. I just want to hang out for a minute. If Jesus is our shepherd, the Holy Spirit is the means by which Jesus shepherds us. It is Christ, the Spirit is, and it is the fullness of God. In John 10, 11, Jesus declares himself the good shepherd. You remember this? Uh, the word for shepherd there is poimen, and it is the exact word throughout the New Testament for pastor. So in John 10, 11, it's the same exact word, and it could be said like this. Jesus says of himself, I am the good pastor. Because a pastor is a shepherd. So let me say it like this. If the Holy Spirit has been given to us as the Spirit of Christ, and Christ is our good shepherd or pastor, think of it like this. Tongues. What does a pastor do? Hopefully I try to do this for you guys. But what does a pastor do for us? A pastor gives us language for things that we didn't have language for before. Likewise, what comes with the Spirit? Tongues. And see, we've made, we've made tongues this, this super weird, you know, thing. No, 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 no. Tongues is the Spirit giving us a language for something we did not have a language for before. It's not weird. It's an announcement that you've been given something you didn't have. It's an announcement that now you can see and speak to things that you could not see and speak to before you were infilled by the Spirit of God. Here's another example. Uh, a gift of discernment. Okay? A pastor gives us minds for things we've never thought about before. Likewise, the Spirit gives us discernment to see and think about things in a way that we've never seen or thought about them before. Healing. Okay? What does a good pastor do? 
when we're walking through whatever we're walking through, they will walk with us through that for the purposes of us finding healing. Likewise, the Spirit will meet us in the middle where, of where we are and bring us to healing. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, etc. Okay? What about the prophetic? The Holy Spirit, like a pastor, helps us see things the way that God sees things. Right? So when you come in this room, every single thing that I'm teaching you is trying to get you to see things through God eyes, not Babylon eyes. You know what I'm saying? Likewise, the Spirit moves through the prophetic, which is why Paul puts a heavy emphasis on prophetic. He emphasizes prophetic more than anything else. Why? Because there has to be a constant exchange of Babylon with God or Zion. There has to be the constant, and the way that that exchange happens is through the prophetic. So when I preach, every message I preach is prophetic. When somebody gives a word of encouragement or a prophetic word or something the Lord is, that's prophetic. When we're singing songs up here, planned or not planned, it's all prophetic because it's all seeing things like God sees them, right? And even the office of the prophet in the church that's given or the gift of the prophet that Jesus gave the church, the only thing that's for is to raise other people up to be prophetic. You know what I'm saying? It's not, if I'm a prophet in the room, which that's not my primary, I love operating it, but that's not the primary anointing I've been given. That's okay. But if I'm in the room and I'm standing up here as a prophet, and, I'm, and my, my job is not to say, thus saith the Lord, like God speaks in King James. You know what I'm saying? I was shocked. I saw somebody, somebody sent me this the other day. Matt, I don't, I don't know if it was you or not. Anyway, uh, it was a joke about a Bible museum. It said, here lies the King James Bible that Paul himself used. <laughs> Paul didn't speak English. Okay. So anyway, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, but it, the job, if I'm a prophet, here's what I'm doing. You come around me and you leave feeling like you can hear things on a level that you did not hear before you came around me. That's what it means to carry a prophetic anointing. So, the Holy Spirit marks us or he gives us identity. Likewise, a pastor will reinforce what? Your identity. He will make God's fatherhood known and likewise a pastor. So do you see this? See, we've made the Holy Spirit this crazy, weird thing. All the while, we've been walking without the shepherd that we were designed to walk with, which is the Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ, which is fully God. So you were designed to live every moment of your life through the Spirit, not just 10 minutes in the morning, every single moment of your life because the Spirit is your shepherd. Let me, let me, let me just read verses 17 and verses 31 one more time. And I, I just I want you to hear this. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him for He lives with you and is in you. Okay, And in verse 31 it says this. <clears throat> But he comes, okay, he comes, the prince of this world, comes so that the world may learn. So in verse 17, uh, the world cannot accept him because it neither knows him um, nor has experienced him. In verse 31, the prince of this world is coming so that the world might learn what they don't know. They don't know but they will know. 
Jesus says, I'm leaving this relationship with you to go on a deeper relationship with you where I will be in you and face-to-face with you always. And when that happens, what the world once did not know because they didn't see things how you saw them and experienced how you experienced, what they once did not know by way of this transition I'm about to make from one function to another, therefore you moving from your function to another, when that happens, the world will learn what they did not once know, which is that I love the Father and they will do exactly what the Father has consummated in me. And, and, and that's the gospel. Right? It's, 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 it's moving from a thought process that we have something to do to attain salvation or to attain a deeper measure or to attain a deeper way of seeing. No, 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 no. It's all been attained on your behalf so that you could not do it on your own. The issue is now us shifting from thinking we can attain something to us realizing it's been attained and our awareness being awakened to what is real. So he's moving us. On that day, you will know that I'm in the Father, you're in me, and I'm you. Not in that day, I will put you in me, and I'll put myself in you, and I will be in the Father. On that day, you'll see. On what day? He's talking about the spirit of truth coming. So I believe what Jesus is looking ahead to is in Acts 2, when they're all together, and think about this. He tells them, do not go anywhere until I send you what I told you I'm going to send you. Why? Because you can't do this without what I'm sending you. But, But this is what he says in Acts 2. And I said this in worship. But Peter says, this is what the prophet Joel prophesied when he said, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And Jesus called this out and said, he's doing that so the world may learn what they don't know. Listen, 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 listen. The world can't accept him. Who? Spirit of truth. Because it neither, currently, it neither sees him or knows him. The word know, gnosko, is experience. Because it neither sees him or has experienced him. But you know him. Because he lives with you and he lives in you. In that day, though, the world will learn what is a reality about them that they've not lived in, but you have. Which takes us all the way back to Exodus 19, when he tells the Israelites, you will be for me a kingdom of priests for the world. So in that day, I will do for the cosmos what you have already experienced by being with me. And the Lord gives us, by way of the Holy Spirit, a pastor that is walking day in and day out with us through every single thing we are walking through. And this is what David said about this. And this is where I'm going to end. Matt, could you hop up here on the piano? Thanks. This is what he says. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read this over you. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. 
He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, a quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will not conquer me for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all. Your authority is my strength and peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely for you are near. You become my delicious feast even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. There it is. Okay? You give me all that I can drink until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. And then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be with you forever. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Some, some of us, and I say us on purpose, because I'm included in this. Some of us cannot get to the place where we are in constant refreshing because we have not seen the Spirit correctly. How, um, listen, how many of us in the mornings or in the nights, whenever you're spending time with the Lord, how many of us have been like, uh, Lord, just pour out your Spirit on me, pour out your Spirit on me, pour out your Spirit on me, pour out your Spirit on me. And what we're saying is, is and I love doing this stuff, by the way. I'm not even, I'm not dogging this. I think I love doing this. But what we're saying is, let me shake, speak in tongues, have fire in my hands, and be able to translate. And the Lord is trying to get us to see the Spirit has been there your whole entire life. You just have not seen it. He's never left. He's never abandoned. That's what Jesus says. I will not leave you fatherless. On the contrary, I'll be face to face with you. I'm not leaving you. See, do you see how different this is? We see, we see Jesus is saying, see you later, I'm going, but we'll send somebody else. He'll help you out. No, Jesus is saying the opposite. He's saying, I'm not leaving you. In fact, I'm going deeper with you. That's where I'm going. I'm not going away. I'm going in. That's what, some of you need to hear that this morning. That Jesus does not run away even in the dark. He runs in. He does not wait for you to find the right path to get to Him. He chases you down every path until you turn around and come home. And He does it by way of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is a person. It's not a ghost. It's not a mist. And it's not even a fire, even if He shows up in that sometimes. Jesus showed up to the people after he came down the mountain of transfiguration glowing but he wasn't a glow he was a man so the spirit might show up to us in different ways at different times 
But those things do not define the Spirit. They mark specific moves of the Spirit. But what defines the Spirit is how you and I live our entire lives aware that the Spirit is living every moment with us. So tonight, when you go home and you're enjoying your dinner and you're watching your favorite show or you're doing whatever, the Spirit is there with you creating a holy moment out of your pleasure. Your joy creates a holy moment where the Spirit is moving and we're never aware of that. Never. When we're enjoying things, we think we're enjoying things apart from that secret place with God because He's not there. No, we're able to enjoy things because of God in us. It, those things are not just things that you don't do apart from God. You do those things in God. The way that you love people is by following the Spirit. The way that you find freedom from anxiety is by following the shepherd out of anxiety. And even when his path, <clears throat> even when his path leads down what seems like a dark valley, do you know what the New Testament says about God in darkness? The Bible, excuse me, not the New Testament. The Bible says about darkness with God. To him, the darkness is as bright as the day. So it, even when you're walking through what something, or something that you would otherwise see as extremely dark, if you're being led 